Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of One Vision. The three of us are back together today, Brad, Arun, and myself, and we're going to do a recap of Davos. Curious to know what happens in Davos, stay in Davos, or are there going to be any real action that will come out from the convention of all the multi-billionaires and gazillionaires and activists and thought leaders? That we're gathering there. What's your take, Brad? Well, the question is, you know, this has been going on since 1971, and you have to wonder um, if 1,600 private jets and billionaires telling millionaires how the middle class should live is really going to make a difference.、Um, and I think it does, and it will. But the the question, you know, in the back of my mind is, what's different about this year? And I think you saw front and center that climate change was not just the talk. But it was starting to change the way that、um, leaders like Larry Fink and you know BlackRock and organizations that have sizable financial interest in these type of fossil fuel production and these other resources that are, I think, responsible more than anything else for for the challenges that we have ahead because of the climate. They're starting to put action into place and. For that alone, there's hope, but the question still remains. You know, for a company like BlackRock that has said that they're going to do things like start divesting and challenge、um, future investments in companies unless they start to curb their climate activity,、uh, is whether or not it's it's really going to happen. You know, how do we hold people accountable if they're just talking about it?、Um, we need to see more activity. We need to see more activity faster. Great.、Uh, I have a bunch of thoughts there,、uh, Brad.、Um, when the World、uh, Climate Convention happened,、uh, I think it was in December, in, in Madrid,、um, people were saying, "What what is that actually really doing to us? Is it is it really meaningful?"、Um, I think some of these conventions and 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 the kind of revolutionary kind of videos we see all the time on social media,、uh, they may not really、um, make. Massive changes to the way we do business or anything, but I think it spreads awareness.、Uh, people talking about climate change at the highest levels, it really matters,、um, and it is starting to show. In policymakers are starting to think about it.、Um, I mean, you mentioned about BlackRock.、Um, it was this was like about a couple of weeks back. I posted a tweet where, at the same time, BlackRock's homepage, Goldman Sachs' homepage. London Stock Exchange homepage, all of them were talking about sustainability and climate change. And、uh, if you look at London Stock Exchange, some of the indices they're like 15 trillion worth of、um, uh, capital going into them. And and、uh, the same thing with、uh, Goldman Sachs have allocated I think seven seven fifty billion or something like that for for sustainable、um, in, uh, investments. They're at least targeting to get there. So there is action at the top. And because there is talk at the top, and I was watching a video where、um, Greta Thunberg was、uh, meeting Prince Charles,、um, with with all the hypocrisy that's happening within Davos, those are events which will which will resonate in our or keep we'll keep it in our、uh, minds for a long period of time. And these are all kind of this these are going to take us to the inflection point. Is is my opinion. You know, Arun, I I like your optimism. 
Um, I, I really <laughs> do. And, and I think between the three of us, we need a balance and, and you give us that balance. I remain to be the more pessimistic or I'd say realistic one. So let, let's think about that for a second. There are two thoughts there. You talk about Greta. It reminds me of a picture that came in uh, social media last week that apparently a picture of multiple climate activists got posted at a joint press conference in Davos that includes Greta, of course, as well as multiple other ones. But when AP Associated Press posted the picture, one person was cropped out. And that was the um, activist from Uganda. And her name is um, Nikati. I hope I did not mispronounce it. But Vanessa's picture, not only the, her, her photo was cropped out, except the jacket, but also her name was nowhere to be found and not her comments either. And so that prompts me you know, to, to think about something as prominent as, as a climate crisis, a climate movement, something that we all keep our eyes on and something that we all talk about, whether or not you know, everyone believed in, in it or not, but definitely everyone is talking about it, is top of the agenda of Davos. How could something like this happen? You know, would it be our unconscious bias? Is it showing that we still have ways to go? Well, you have to think that media continues its bias. I mean, it's the same thing with the way that crime is reported. And you could have, you know, crime um, go down 90% and they will still have sensational stories about what's happened because of, you know, who is uh, apparently doing the crime. And there is a bias in media. But the, I guess the, the, the broader question is, you know, why would the, the photo only focus on one activist? And I think, you know, it's going to kind of create headlines that will sell the story. And the idea of, you know, Greta versus the president or Greta versus the EU or Greta versus the world is somehow, you know, one of those um, David and Goliath type of stories that get people to click. And, you know, that's the skeptic in me, but why, you know, take a picture of five people and take out one person or take out all but one um, because of the color of her skin? Is that how much bias we have when people are talking about the same activity? They're talking about the same level of hope and optimism for the future around climate change. So I, I hope that's not the case. And AP of all things, they should just be, you know, sending out what happened, the real picture. So funny thing is after they got called out, um, a department of AP, not the AP main account itself. Now it could have changed since, um, you know, our broadcast is later, but um, at least immediately after the fact when this was raised, they came out and say, they'll do better next time. They're going to go back and look at what happened. But never did they actually issue a direct apology to Vanessa, which I think it's, it's, it's a miss, right? It's just straight out come out, say, we're sorry, we overlooked it, and we're going to do better next time. Um, so I, I think there's still more work to be done. But, you know, to, to the point of bias, right, to the point of, you know, a sensational media piece, uh, clickbait, as we like to call it, um, it reminds me of something else that Goldman Sachs announced at Davos last week, which is sensational, which I'm sure got them a lot of press. Um, it's the fact that they say after June, they are only going to take companies and help them go to IPO if they have one woman on the board. Now, that is a wonderful headline that a lot of people were talking about. But again, sorry, the cynicism in me looked into the details. And it was interesting. My first question is, why June? Okay, fine. You need time to adjust your strategy. Why one woman? 
Why not two? You're looking at a board of at least five, ten people. Just one is that tokenism. And third of all, if you look through the countries or the continents that they were talking about having this so-called policy, Asia is nowhere to be found. Nor is Middle East. Now, if you look at the makeup of companies where they have the most gender gap, if you will, it will be Asia. China and Japan specifically, and it will be Middle East. So why is it that these two are missing from the so-called focus of Goldman Sachs?、Um, I, I really don't have an answer to that, but、uh, I guess、uh, there's quite quite a lot of、uh, firms using this clickbait strategy, as you rightly pointed out.、Um, I, I did have a, a post of mine,、um, kind of on LinkedIn, which kind of. Went viral. Actually, it's a, it's hitting three thirty thousand views today.、Uh, but but it's it's it. it I, I I didn't realize the content until until after I kind of、uh, spend more time reading through it.、Um, it actually reads: RBS boss Alison Rose sets aside one billion for female entrepreneurs. Now, the moment I read it, the first thing that hits me is awesome. We're going to do something like a corporate venture capital fund. Which will focus on female entrepreneurs, and when I went through it, it said sixty percent of the funds will be allocated for female-led firms. Great, that is that is a much higher proportion to what we normally see in the market today. Great, that's still a good good uh, good uh, stat. And then uh, uh, on further discussion on、uh, through the post, I, I I made for I just read it again, and I found it was it didn't say. Uh, funding, it said lending. So <laughs> it it basically was more about lending to SMEs and not really putting monies in firms as equity. So they're two different things. So it's it's sometimes we just get excited about these things as soon as we see the headline, and and of course that's really what those those firms want as well. So I mean, yeah. Yeah,、um, it's it's unfortunate, but we are getting getting there, right? I mean, one one woman is better than no woman. At least people are starting to think in those terms. So one、mm-hmm. step at a time, we'll get there. I think. Well, one woman is better than no woman. But what I'm worried about, which we see. Again and again and again, when we point、mm-hmm. out, hey, why is there only one woman? The response is, well, hey, there's already one. Why do we need to do more? <laughs> and 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 the struggle is real, right? And we see it in in a micro、um, situation. You know, a lot of times in in conferences, right? Hey, there's a man. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Let's find him a woman and stick her in as a moderator. Here, done. And then you have five men on the panel. Is that progress? Is that real progress? Are we just sticking in someone in there so that we don't get criticized? Well, but look at the results, right? So, so there were a couple of things that came out this week that said that you know funds that are led by women or at least more diverse、um, investors are something like eighty percent more effective in terms of having returns. There, there's like every single time you turn around, there's a study that says that diversity actually brings a better team to the way that they look at business problems and. You know, to say I'm I'm only going to help lead to market companies that have, you know, one woman on a board.、Um, it's a requirement that shouldn't be required, right? It's it's only having gender. It's not even saying diversity. It's not saying people of different races and backgrounds and colors. And 
economic opportunities. And so until we have further sort of true diversity representing public companies, um, I don't buy it, you know, because you, you look at other countries that require uh, representation to be near 50-50 and diverse, uh, some of the Nordic countries especially, and you really wonder about, you know, the way that they look at how they're building the society over time. Business and business leaders should not be the end-all be-all for what we're doing in our society, how we're, you know, really valuing people, how we're valuing the future. Um, that, I think, is what has evolved over the last hundred years. And it's an extension of where we were, you know, going, you know, back before feudalism. And so, you know, something needs to change because there's seven and a half billion of us on the planet. And uh, not just business needs to lead that. The solution to it is at, at the grassroots of the society, Brad, because um, one of, we look at it from board level conversations, right? So these are all like the, the, the top, top 1% of uh, the elites who are trying to get into the boards of top firms and, and dealing with IPOs with, uh, uh, with uh, Goldman Sachs. I think the, the, the change needs to happen in every family, in every, um, uh, every school, every university. Uh, there needs to be that push towards equality. Um, because the, the, I'll tell you what the challenge is, right? So let me take uh, Green Shores Capital, for example. We basically look at, we want to be the, the diversity fund um, and, and we are moving towards that. Uh, but if you look at our deal flows out of 400 firms last year, perhaps maybe 50 firms were led by women, right? If I'm going to say that 50% of my portfolio has to be led by women, I have to be able to pick at least five to six firms out of that 50 to make an investment. And that puts my hit ratio to 10%, which is about 1% today, right? So am I going to be choosing the best firms there or am I going to be choosing women-led firm just for the sake of do it, choosing women-led firm? I, I think it should be the, the former. And for that, I need to be focusing on getting out of 400, 200 women-led firms through the door. That is what needs to change. We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. I agree. I agree. But here I have some reactions to it. Mm -hmm. So I would say my first knee-jerk reaction is, yes, it can be done. I don't think you have to, and I don't think any businesses should have to choose between, do I go for the best one or should I go for one that is more diverse? Because I think the two can coexist. Okay. I have... I think what it needs is it needs us to reach outside of our normal social circle. It, we need to reach outside of the normal black book that we reach into our contacts on LinkedIn. I, I think we need to tap more into other people that are not like us, that don't go to the same schools with us, that don't socialize with us in the same 
places and same conferences and all that. That's how you can find different people. It is not easy. And, and I, I can attest to it. I remember one of the events I ran a couple of years ago back when I was doing corporate, we made a conscious effort in trying to be different. And we did, but it almost killed me. I was on the road 300 days in the year looking for 10 startups that are different enough, but that are really good in what they do. And what I was able to bring to the table between the 10 people, it was the most diverse group of founders I ever run into in my life in any incubators and accelerators that I have worked with. Not only it was difference in gender, it was also a lot of differences in terms of socioeconomic backgrounds, prior careers that they had, as well as age. I mean, it was like a mixing bowl, a salad. So can it be done? Anyone who come and tell me it cannot be done, I would push back and say it can be done. Depends on how much effort you're willing to give into it, right? And I, I, I'm going to step off my soapbox for a minute. <laughs> now, you sound like Max when you say that. So he was giving me a very similar answer. He said, we should do 800 deals. We should look at 800 deals this year. We'll definitely get more women. That's what he said. Uh, but uh, but but th- th- that's a different thing. And, that, and there is another challenge, which is top down again, right? So uh, some of these policymakers make a lot of um, uh, PR uh, or get, get a lot of PR through these uh, posts and all that. So recently, I have to exp- kind of mention this experience. We spent the whole of December and early January putting together a, a core thesis for Greenshaw's Capital focused on diversity and Theo, you know all about it. Uh, we the one of the first institutional investors that we spoke to. These people are supposed to be holding the VC ecosystem in the in the UK together. And if you go to their website, I can't name them. You go to the website, you will see diversity and on the call and ask for a, a shout out for diversity all over the place. All sorts of stats. And we go talk to them and say, we, we are focusing on deep tech and diversity. The first response, response is, sorry, diversity cannot be a differentiator. Find out one industry or one field that you want, one technology that you want to invest into and come back to us. Um, diversity cannot be a, a core thesis. Um, we were like really, really shocked because there is so much research, so much content online to show that diversity is, is a massive differentiator. Even, even from making money perspective. Anyway, so that, that needs to come from a top-down, um, has to be top-down, so that it can actually resonate throughout, uh, throughout the money chain. Well, and I, I think when you look at the sort of broader um, thing that we've learned from Davos is that it's sometimes one thing to talk, another time, you know, to do action and what are the ramifications? You know, what do we do in our personal lives to actually sort of back up the kind of conversations and things that we say we believe in? And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm thinking about sort of the, the ongoing move into sustainable investment and, you know, SDGs and ESG type of investments that more companies are sort of committing toward and more solutions for consumers and businesses are sort of moving forward with. And I think it's good and it's a very attainable to see more percentages of dollars being geared toward more sustainability and sustainable practices. And you, you saw things like the Million Tree Foundation um, make pledges at Davos with other companies like saying that they will support 
you know, things like planting trees and things like curbing emissions and, you know, ongoing efforts to sort of offset things. And there's always that component because you said something earlier about what we're doing in our communities and our families and ourselves to change our own behavior, to stand up for what we truly talk about and what we believe in. And as much of a struggle as, as it is for, you know, Jamie Dimon to like steer the ship of chase to do the right thing, which oftentimes is really about shareholders, not actual stakeholders and community um, stakeholders. The, the question is, you know, what do we do in our daily life? And it, it always brings me back in terms of climate change to one of my favorite stories about my mom in the sort of 75, 1976 sort of time frame. Um, it was just a couple years after the first Earth Day, and we lived in a tiny, tiny town called Pacifica, um, which is a little bit south of San Francisco. And my mother was like so much sort of wrapped up in two or three years of being part of the ecology movement that she was trying to lobby the, um, the local government there um, and to, to look at ecology programs because there were some that were starting to form up in the state. And as you know, California tends to lead with a lot of these things in the US. And um, she was making this case that we should be doing more to recycle what we put into the trash. And, you know, I'm six, seven years old or whatever at the point, and I didn't really know what my mom was doing, but I helped her collect trash and I helped her collect some things that should be recycled. And we went down to um, the, the, the local meeting down in the local government and she took this huge bin of trash and dumped it on a table in front of the mayor and all of the city council and said, this is what's going into the trash. This is what Earth Day and ecology are all about. And she made the point so clear that these were things that could be reused, that they started the development of an ecology program. And that city was among the first that were doing it for just the, the principal reason that there were things that were being wasted. There were things that could be reused. And think about, you know, we didn't even recycle glass up in, you know, consistently until probably the 1980s and then plastic and everything else came forward. And how much do we do today, you know, in terms of recycling? And it's like, there's so many geographies that are way ahead of, you know, most of the US. And if we cannot make those simple changes in the way that we buy or care about where things are sourced from and our, our global, you know, sort of overall impact of what we personally do, what we instill in our children, what we're doing for the next generation and beyond, then, you know, it's, it's hypocrisy in our own sort of way of calling out leaders for not doing more. And, you know, I am an optimist about just about everything. Um, you know, there's, I think, different levels of optimism in the three of us about almost any topic. Um, but I think it's necessary, you know, for us to think about our actions. And I want to drop this one in for you, um, Arun, to talk about a little bit. There's a startup called Deconomy that is launching a credit card to do carbon offsets for the purchases we make. Yes. What do you think about things like that? Um, you spoke of, we spoke about top-down action. I think that needs to be bottom-up action as well. Um, I, I call it uh, conscious consumerism. Um, this year's single stay or last year's single stay brought in about 38 billion worth of uh, sales. Um, and I think between Black Friday and uh, Cyber Monday, we had about $17 billion worth of sales. Um, why do we need to buy so much? I mean, what, what are we doing to, to them? I mean, why, why, why couldn't we just fix things that's broken at home and recycle them? 
I think that 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 consciousness needs to come to us. And and coming back to your question on the economy, there's there's um, uh, there's another startup called Enfuse as well. I'm speaking to both of both of them in the next few weeks. Um, um, I, I just love what they're doing uh, because when the moment you have some kind of a Fitbit like uh, gamification methodology to say, hey, you've spent this much using your card, but you've actually hurt the planet so much, or you've spent this much, but it's your 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 um, carbon emissions and 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 energy footprint or plastic footprint of your purchase has actually gone down despite the fact that you've spent so much. I think that kind of analytics, if it props up on me and if I can kind of gamify that, that's how you build this bottom-up way of uh, uh, way of uh, conscious uh, consumerism, which is going to kind of reflect in how easily and how quickly we become a sustainable society. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like those too because it's it's basically using um, behavior economics, right, to nudge you, give you the information and then nudge you to do better, just like um, the uh, the Apple Watch, right, and tell you, hey, you know, just another five minutes or something, then you can achieve your your walk go. Um, I, I think those those are very good. I wish we have more like that in financial services too. Um, speaking of, of uh, conscious consumerism, um, there's one more topic I wanted to bring up uh, from Davos last week before we wrap up. It's corporate responsibility. So one of, one of the um, person I, and, and company I'm a big fan of is Microsoft, right? And it's made a lot of headlines the last few weeks. Um, Satya, um, he had a new book called Hit Refresh that, that came up last year that talked about the culture in Microsoft and his personal journey and how a lot of the things that happened in his family changed his perspective on how corporates should behave. And um, he talked a lot about empathy and how to be, how to be um, responsible for not just the shareholders, but all the stakeholders. So in Davos last week, there were a couple of different articles as well as fireside chats that he did that talked about how can we collectively achieve more in this decade um, around um, having a more inclusive economic growth, right? Because we all recognize that something is going not in the right direction in terms of wealth and income inequality. He talked about building trust in technology and, and its use. He talked about committing to a sustainable future. And he talked about powering more economic growth through tech intensity. So now um, to the third point around uh, sustainable future. Arun, I know that you were very excited with something that Microsoft also announced last month. Yes, uh, very much. I I think I, I love what Satya Nadella did. I, I, I kind of, the guy is amazing. He's kind of uh, taken Microsoft to, to new heights, really. Um, on the sustainability front, they announced a billion dollar fund uh, to towards climate action and to make them carbon negative over a period of 10 years, uh, the next 10 years. Um, and, um, and I think that's a great initiative. And, uh, but there is, there's a but there because uh, one thing is about allocating capital for corporate social responsibility. The other thing is trying to see if you can create or tweak your business model to be more sustainable. I, I definitely prefer the latter 
because that means you're making money and growing while also being friendly to the environment, friendly to our planet or, or embracing diversity or whatever you plan to do. Whereas if you're allocating money, a billion dollars, great, but you've already become a trillion dollar company or you're probably going to be a $2 trillion company in, in a few years time. Your allocation is not perhaps going to grow as, as fast as your firm. And, 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 and I, I don't see that as good as tweaking your business model. So if he had told me, I'm going to make sure my supply chain is going to be completely sustainable end to end, I would have said, wow, that's, that's a great way forward. But this is a good start. As I'm optimistic about the way he's, he's taking the firm. But I think there needs to be more action. Every company needs to look at what is unsustainable about their, their uh, business models, supply chains, uh, suppliers, vendors. Um, um, I mean, anything they do with their business ecosystem and, and see where they can bring in more sustainable uh, uh, practices. I think that's, that's what is needed. Yeah, I think that Microsoft has shifted so much from what it was you know, 10 years ago um, under new leadership. And, you know, when companies that large, especially one that now is moving more and more into the cloud and has um, so much, you know, activity around um, having servers run for other people's businesses, uh, I think to be car carbon sort of neutral is great. To be carbon negative is amazing. Um, I guess, you know, that the, the reason for optimism throughout all this is the fact that you know, we've gone from corporate social responsibility meaning more, right? It, it used to be um, just we, we care about, you know, our, our community. Now it's we care about what impact we have on the planet. We care about what we're doing and how it has an impact on jobs and how it has an impact on diversity. And it's broadened the responsibility that businesses, especially those that are large and have scale, have really broadened. Um, from what they once were. And, you know, this, this sense of we've gone from, you know, Jim Collins idea of good to great, where efficiencies and the right people on the bus and all of these sort of concepts around, you know, this, this hedgehog model of what you're really, really good at and, um, is so much shifted from being geared toward efficiency and profitability to one of impact um, to the broadest, most amount of people that are your customers, your communities, and your employees. And we are, I think, slowly but surely going from a shareholder model to a stakeholder model. Um, so that, you know, from out of Davos and that out of the last decade or more um, in terms of social responsibility and social contracts for businesses, I think are sort of the, the, the best thing that has come out of, you know, this change in the business environment. So optimistic um yep hopeful absolutely and uh always great to have these conversations and i think that makes a great wrap to our episode we like to end on a good note so hope you all enjoyed this episode with us and we look forward to sharing more thoughts with you in the next one thanks for listening in to a new episode of one vision podcast with brad arun and myself theo